Welcome to the Actually Connecting Podcast, where emotions, consciousness, and connecting come first. Hello, hello, Brian Aguilar. It is nice to have you on. How are you doing today, man? Good. Happy to be here, man. Glad it. Cool. Glad it's coming through loud and clear. <laughs> it is coming through loud and clear. I've got stones around me. I've went into yoga today. Like for those of you who don't know, uh, Brian and I tried to do this this last week, and genuinely, I think we had interference. I think whatever we're about to talk about was <laughs> trying to be blocked up a little bit. And I know I had to kind of refocus my whole perspective on because the whole concept of today, I'd like to talk about kind of the modern spiritual being and what that means to be a spiritual being in today's modern world. And we tried to have this conversation and it just refused to work on three different technologies across three different platforms and all the things and stuff. So it sounds like we're doing it. Yeah, I think we're we're doing all right. Okay. Um, everything's back to where my phone works now even. I've got internet activity going on. And I mean, that day it was just, I couldn't even power my phone down at that point. Dang. It's, it's wild. And you introduced me to that, this book, and we can jump into that in a second here, but, and this book was talking about interference as well. Literally you read that the day of when it was all happening. So I think it's wild. Yeah. It was like a synchronicity that day. Like, you know, I was supposed to read that and then, understand what was going to happen, I guess. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So we met, I think eight years ago. I've been trying to do the math on it. It's, it was a while ago in Colorado Springs. It's where you live currently today, right? Yep. Correct. I think that yeah. sounds about right. About yeah, yeah, eight yeah. years ago. Yeah. And so you just introduced you a little bit. You are the owner of Aguilar Barber and Styling in Colorado Springs. You have two locations out there. Uh, I think I would call you a spiritual seeker. And kind of a forever learner. Yeah, I think that's correct. Yeah, I'm always trying to expand my consciousness, if you will. Uh, read, talk, you know, meet people, new people all the time, have conversations all day long. So it tends to lead down those avenues. <laughs> exactly. Will you tell everyone who you are, what you're all about, kind of a little bit about you? Sure. Uh, yeah, like you said, I had the two barbershops. Um, I own those with my brother. We have one here in Colorado Springs and then one in Pueblo, Colorado, which not too far, maybe 45 minutes south. Uh, that's where I grew up, was in Pueblo. Um, went there from kindergarten to about 12th grade. Uh, I'd say grew up in pretty much like poverty neighborhoods in the beginning, you know, just low income, you know, a lot of crime, violence and drugs, those type of things seem to be uh, very prevalent in those neighborhoods and in the town for that matter. And went to school there um, till about high school, end of high school, came up to Colorado Springs, went to UCCS there to study and was also cutting hair at the same time to pay for college. And that's when I decided that I was going to kind of take over the family businesses and go down that path and, and try and grow those and expand and keep them uh, supporting the family. That's cool. Was it interesting? Was it weird going into a family business? 
like did you expect did you want to do something different when you were growing up and then was that like an interesting how was that like making that decision um yeah I, I think so I think uh what initially I was going to school for electrical engineering and uh oh. at the at that time my uh mother was dealing with cancer and so and my father you know was kind of helping her taking her to to her appointments and my brother had just relocated back to Colorado to help as well kind of on the on the home front mm-hmm. and I was taking over the managing of the businesses and the like kind of operations um, so I think that kind of led me down that path I think and initially I was set on maybe going down the engineering a little more and so I decided you know this is where I'm going to be a little more useful and where they need me at the moment, which I think in some point it kind of like led to a little like anxiety maybe and mm-hmm. feeling of, you know, like I'm not really doing what I intended to do. Mm-hmm. But I think too, at the same time, it like really um, forced me to, to look at it, you know, like was, is it that it's not fulfilling or is it, me like some things that i need to to work on and understand about myself you know and it's what's really like the root of the of the um, anxiety and maybe the feeling of not being content did you end up figuring out what the root was of that anxiety because i feel like that's super common yeah um yeah I, i think i did i think what it came down to was maybe changing the perspective you know like accepting that that there's different ways of looking at the same thing and sometimes we look at things from more of an ego base Mm -hmm. and i think more so our pride kind of gets involved in what what we want to accomplish and the tangible things we want to acquire and you know, those type of things. And, and I was kind of going against the grain, I think, you know, swimming upstream from maybe the, the calling that was kind of in front of my face and the things I needed to do and make some sacrifices that were beyond myself to help the greater overall good of the family, I guess. It's pretty cool that you're that close to your family that you can say that a lot of people don't have that, that opportunity. And I think that's, that's pretty, it's a pretty cool thing to say. Yeah. I, and then I think too, you know, the more you kind of get involved in that and you start mixing business with, with family, like it's not easy, you know, and, and at points you really feel like, you know, why am I doing this? You know, you, you don't feel appreciated you mm-hmm. or, or you take things for granted. And so that, that's a tough one to navigate. And that really, I think all of it, were steps that caused like some spiritual growth and maybe evolution. Cause then you teaches you patience, teaches you how to forgive people, teaches you how to grow, you know, past your own ego and put things aside and all very important steps in hindsight. But when you're going through them, you know, it's a very frustrating experience. That's exactly it. Forgiveness, especially. That's a tough lesson to learn. I think it's one that we see over and over and over again. You have to get a new chance to forgive. 
a different thing for a different mentality with a different mindset perspective. Yeah. And I think the, the kind of flip side perspective of that is forgiving yourself, you know, especially when you don't feel like you've done anything wrong or you're the victim kind of mentality mm-hmm. instead, instead of seeing it as, you know, we accept what we feel we're worth and we put ourselves in positions to experience certain things, to learn lessons. And if you get blinded kind of by your, your bitterness or your anger or frustration, then you're really not experiencing that catalyst to, to push you forward towards the growth that you're there for. Mm-hmm. It's spot on. It's spot on. The reason I jumped in to and kind of invited you on this podcast is when we would sit down and talk, we would have about an hour to talk every time. And I don't get a chance very often to talk with people where it's like, we can talk astro projection, we can talk dreams, we can talk the other inside. We can, I mean, we talk all the spiritual stuff like the out there conversations. What is the first spiritual experience you ever had? If I may ask. Um, I think it would probably be later where I was like fully aware of the depth of, you know, what spirituality were and the things that were happening and being able to see them from like a perspective of growth and Mm -hmm. the meaning of those things happening. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think they just all kind of run together. But if I, if I had to point out one really big one, I think it would be when my mother was diagnosed with cancer and it kind of, it caused me to have this perspective of, you know, I'll let me do everything I can for the business, but also let me kind of pull away personally because you don't need to deal with with my problems or my complaints Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. you know you don't need my stress so it was kind of like you know let me help as much as i can but also let me make myself scarce in terms of you know kind of unloading what i need to unload you know to to keep yourself recharged and stuff so you you end up keeping a lot of that and holding it in and repressing things i think so it was a big learning experience there and and then i I moved up to colorado springs right after she got diagnosed and i was going to school and then driving back there and working full-time there so i would do like four days of school and then three days you know 12-hour shifts and then try and help with whatever loose ends i could that you know whether it was office work or deposits or hiring or training all those things that go along with owning a business Um, but i think what i did realize was i I was kind of pushing myself away because i didn't want to be a a burden in that sense and i think it when i look back there you know there's a downside to that because you kind of lose a connection you know especially with my mom, you know, that maybe could have been a little deeper, but also at the same time, I think it caused me to be alone for the first time, you know, and really mm. 
be by myself and deal with my own insecurities and what was causing me to be aggressive or angry. And the fact that I had grown up in Pueblo um, for the previous, you know, 12 years, at least 15 years, you, you end up having to adopt kind of a mentality around your environment. And the environment was a little more dog eat dog there. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, if, if you let people push you around, then you're, you're kind of a punk. And at some point you just, for an analogy, you're just food, you know, that's what you are, you know, and that's what you'll be seen as. So you kind of had to have this exterior that was tough and, and then you develop a mentality around that of, um, let's see who has more to lose. Right. Let's let's see who's willing mm-hmm. to push this farther. And and then you're kind of basing your pride on I'll lose more than you and I'm okay with that. Let's see if you are. And that was a tough one for me to break. And and I think being alone up here, like going to school kind of thing, really caused me to like understand that and then reconcile that because you can only walk around with that attitude for so long before you're going to meet somebody that's willing to match you and Mm. it's going to end up going somewhere that it doesn't need to go. Nobody wants it to go there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think I would say that was my, my first kind of like spiritual awakening, like getting rid of aggression and anger and becoming in tune with a little more spiritual side, maybe even some would say like a feminine quality, which mm-hmm. growing up that way, that, that wasn't acceptable. The understanding that there is this difference between the feminine side and the masculine side, and it's okay to be and show that softer, gentler, more receptive being. Exactly. Yeah. And you think that's feminist. So I would say right now for myself, I'm in the thick of going through rage and anger healing. And it is like the habitual pattern is to quickly go there when it comes to the internal home space, outternal, external home. I would of course never show that because, you know, persona ethics are so important, but then I'm learning about these character ethics and how to be a better person internally and really look exactly what you said, be able to be with myself alone and with the people who I love the most and also be kind, caring, compassionate and all the things. And I feel like that trigger is so common and so just almost natural. And it's, I'm, I've been processing how to release and remove that. And it's really interesting to hear that it's the feminine side. Cause on the other side, I would say that I'm very in touch with that feminine side. So I'm, I'm, how did you put those two together to allow the rage and the anger to go away? Well, I I would say I did a lot of reading, you know, a lot of kind of my own self investigation, you know, and it, I think what it came down to was emotional intelligence was lacking Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. and I needed to understand, you know, and there was a lot of questions that go into that such a broad answer of emotional intelligence but i think the things that 
really led me down that path where what you were saying, the aggression, the anger, and then I realized, you know, that's, that's not who I want to be. And it's mm-hmm. really exhausting and it's hard to keep up that attitude and it's really draining. So I think those, those type of visceral reactions to other people's personalities weren't the ones that I wanted to have. I didn't feel like when I got to those points, I was really in control of my own emotions. And so, you know, I spent a lot of time considering that. And I think what I started to do was separate emotions into categories, right? Like there would be happiness and joy on one side and fear and anger on the other. And I started kind of, (laughs) I would chart them out Mm -hmm. and underneath each one, what are, what are the things that would cause each of these um, reactions, right. Or Mm -hmm. help to form those and kind of make your little like spider charts. And so I, I did a lot of that and and then kind of realizing that the more detail that you would focus on things, the better your results would be. So then make the distinctions there that, you know, happiness is fleeting. Joy is a little more permanent, you know, and what are the things that give you those, you know, like gratification would fall under joy as a sub bullet, right? Like mm-hmm. when I, when I'm gratified on the work that I'm doing, then I'm living a joyful life. And there's other little things, you know, like, go and get an ice cream that makes me happy right Mm -hmm. but but that's not that's fleeting that's not permanent and so what i was doing was spending a lot of time alone figuring out what those really meant what comprised of each emotion and what made those up and then kind of going back to the beginning of my own experiences and where were my insecurities coming from Right. What was the root cause of those that would force me to experience those emotions that I didn't like experiencing? And I would say that going back as far as toddler years, I think I was able to realize that what would be the the first insecurity any child would ever experience in their life. And I think it's the fear of being left alone, the fear Mm -hmm. of the fear of losing your parents. I think um, there was a point where I was in a, a store and I think it was like a Macy's type of store that I had got lost and I was running around and hiding in the, in between the clothes racks, those big circular ones. And at one point I had lost my parents and I, I was probably young. I think I was maybe five, maybe a little younger. And I just remember like when you had that realization that, you weren't with them and you didn't know where they were at. It was almost like that goose bumped on the neck and arms and you're mm-hmm. terrified, just absolutely terrified. Mm-hmm. That sinking feeling in your pit of your stomach and you're like, what has happened? Where am I at? Mm-hmm. So I, I think those were the type of insecurities that I was trying to identify and then mm. ext- extrapolate those through the rest of my life. You know, at what points whether I knew it or not, that these 
these uh, programmed insecurities were kind of coming back around in cycles and subconsciously replaying and realize that those were things that I hadn't healed from. You know, those weren't things that I had reconciled and made peace with. Mm -hmm. Why do you consider so much? To be able to process the world this way, I think is really rare. And I don't hear many people go through the world that way. I think I needed answers, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I think my parents gave me what they could give me to the best of their ability, but education and opportunity for education kind of limited their ability to expand any farther than they did. Mm -hmm. And so even something as simple as, which I think this is um, something that everybody at some point considers what's the meaning of life? You know, why am I here? Mm-hmm. Who, who's my creator? You know, what, how do I make sense of some broad understanding of religion and what people are trying to teach you? You know, and I think at some point, you know, maybe that goes back to that very first insecurity that we all have um, being left alone. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that, that comes back around in a cycle of maybe your creator left you here alone with no understanding of why you're here and it's causing fear and resentment and other type of types of emotions that are leading you down a path that you don't want to go down, you know? And so I think in that sense, when I would realize, and this was, back in that time frame of living by myself, going to school, kind of going to bed at night alone with nobody there, I was paying attention to what was keeping me up. You know, a lot of people, Mm -hmm. they experience the most anxiety throughout the day that they'll experience is when they go to sleep, right? And they, I can't fall asleep. I have a hard time going to sleep. I hear this all the time from people. Mm. And I, and I don't think maybe that they make the connection or they consider that, well, what are you thinking about at night when you can't sleep? You know, mm. what's, what's really running through your mind, whether it's, you know, some activity throughout the day that you were procrastinating on, you didn't get done, or it's deeper than that. And for me, it was deeper, you know, it was, I needed to know what these meanings of life were and religion and faith and so I, that, that's kind of the things that i spent a lot of time along with the aggression and anger those were the two major things that i needed to know right away and that's i think what caused me to see life and experience life in the way that you were you were asking like what what makes you tick that way mm-hmm. totally and it opens up have you ever heard the concept do you choose our experience as souls before we actually come to this earthly plane? Yeah, yeah, but, definitely. Um, and I think these were kind of the teachings and things that kind of helped me helped me understand and help me um, reconcile those 
differences that, mm-hmm. that I wasn't okay with. I, and not to offend anybody, but it was hard for me to accept the belief system of um, some of your mainstream religions. The dogma. Yeah, the dogma. And then there was a lot of, there was a lot of uh, religions that relied on blind faith, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, well, if you believe or if you ask for forgiveness or you go through the steps and I just, it wasn't enough for me. Mm-hmm. That, that couldn't be the answer. There has to be a more analytical and concise explanation of of those things so mm-hmm. I, had, I had to go find that and then what you were saying the belief of kind of reincarnating and taking a life that was gonna lead you down a path of catalysts that would cause you to learn lessons that you kind of picked before you entered mm-hmm. this, this third dimension experience if you will mm-hmm. I, I do subscribe to that a lot and and believe that there is a lot of truth in that, that we we attract the things that happen to us in life for a reason so that we can learn the lesson that we're trying to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And it's so interesting because even just from blind faith in the concept of this religious dogma, even if that all works perfectly and fits in a really great box, a lot of times people go through the religion and they go through and there's someone hurts them within the church. Someone within the dogma hurts the process and there's religious trauma. And I, I see religious trauma popping up more and more and more and more with almost everyone I speak with. And that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It's just not bad, not good. It's just, it is kind of there and there's a healing process that I'm seeing needing to come from this concept of religion and how it's brought about nowadays. And it's really interesting to hear you bring up this different, this third dimension experience within that process, because it really is a factor of what what really comes down to healing. Like we're in a stage almost where there's a major amount of healing, whether it's the COVID stuff, whether it's political, whether it's religious, whether it's just individual child healing, like you had to go through, you just naturally wanted to go child clear, which is amazing. You know, that's a really rare thing that I think have choose to do. You really do have to be alone and in your thoughts to go through something like that. I think that is the catalyst is the, the silence and the alone time. Yeah. And I think a lot of people before they can get to that experience, they cause their insecurities to play out in cycles. You know, they get into a bad mm-hmm. relationship and, mm-hmm. and instead of healing from that, you know, here they are three months later in another relationship with not enough time to reflect and consider, you know, what led me down that path, what got me to that mm-hmm. ending, what situations could I have handled better? What what trauma am I not healed from that maybe caused me to be responsible for mm-hmm. my portion of a bad relationship? And whether it's romantically or um, family, friends, you know, any any of those things, I think that we we tend to find gratification or 
other emotions that we need that distract us from doing the work. Mm-hmm. Have you ever gone to the atlasofemotions.org? No, I don't believe I have. <laughs> Goodness, dude, this is going to blow your mind. The Dalai Lama gets involved with this program and creates something called the Atlas of Emotions. And it is exactly what you're talking about, about this spreadsheet that's created where it's, it talks about what are the emotions that can be experienced. And they break it down into these. It's anger, fear, disgust, sadness, and enjoyment. Those are your high-level categories. And then it breaks down into the experience that they have of that, which are those five. And then the response, which are like, for example, if you go to enjoyment, it's sensory pleasure. And under sensory pleasure, you have exclaim, engage, connect, gloat, indulge, maintain, savor, seek more. And that's just the first category. And above is amusement and compassion, joy. And it keeps going up into these different, you know, peace all the way up to the very highest, which is ecstasy. So it ranks and rates these different things for all of the different emotional categories. Uh, it's really what you're talking about in a lot of ways. And I, when I was younger, I had this emotional hit that I needed to build this platform. So I started doing exactly what you talked about, writing the spreadsheet out. And that's how I analyze the emotions as well. So you're the second person I've heard that's done that until I heard the Dalai Lama do this site. And when I saw it, I, there was a piece of me that felt like, oh, my whole purpose has just been taken away. And then this other piece said, oh, I don't have to spend a lifetime doing this. Thank goodness. I can move to the next thing. It gives yeah. me a chance to heal now moving forward with this tool and resource that's here. Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm going to have to take a look at it. I just kind of pulled it up while you, yeah. while you were talking about it. And, it. and for those of you who are listening, follow along with us. So that it's introductions on the top, timeline, experience, response, and then it can go strategies. And those are on the top there. And it literally will just walk you through how that works and what it is. And there's these really cool words as well. Like, let's pull this one out. Uh, under enjoyment, for example, there's something called Fiero. And f what is Fiero? I had to look it up last time. Let me look it up right now. Fiero, what that means. Word. It's proud. The word fiero means proud and it's a form of enjoyment, feeling pleasure or satisfaction at one's achievements, possessions, connections. So yeah. they just like really go deep into this stuff. Yeah, I was looking at this and it seems like it has kind of both sides of the coin. Like if you click on enjoyment, it says a friend gets angry with you. You mm -hmm. feel enjoyment. And the next thing is gloat. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting. And it gives you the spectrum on both sides. Yeah. Um, I, I want to jump back. I just, I, I think that's really interesting that you've kind of chosen this path to go down to really find emotional intelligence. Have you found that, would you say that you are, you're practicing emotional intelligence or you are trying to become some sort of specialist expert or is it just something that is a practice through day to day? Well, I, I think yeah, the answer is yes to both. You know, mm -hmm. I think that I, I try to practice it for myself and I have a couple means of 
of outlets that I do it with. And uh, mm -hmm. I think one of them would be speaking with my clients. You know, I get kind of a snapshot of their life every couple of weeks for about 30 to 40 minutes. And mm -hmm. we can kind of pick up where we left off or start down new avenues. And mm -hmm. then, then I, I would go and run, you know, doing that. I was speaking to you about this the other day. I do a lot of running. So it, it kind of allowed me to understand meditation on a different level. So I, I'd run and listen to books or I'd run and kind of just keep everything quiet. And the books would help me focus and meditate on a concentration level. Whereas running, you're just kind of living in the open mind space when you're not listening to anything. Mm -hmm. And certain things would usually come to mind. And for me, I would kind of go back and think of what I was saying earlier, the anxiety points, mm -hmm. things that make you anxious and focus on those. And, you know, before you know it, you had ran 30 minutes and you weren't thinking about how bad it hurt or your lungs burning. And, <laughs> and you, mm -hmm. you, you kind of come out of it with an answer like, okay, I, I see it. I understand it. This is what I want to do. And this is how I'm going to attack this problem. And it's a very peaceful feeling. Almost, I, I think that's what you would term the runner's high. Mm -hmm. Is coming up with clarity. You know, you're you're clear by the time you're done, and and you you don't need to worry about it anymore because you have the answers on what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. The other oh. thing I think too that I that I failed to mention earlier was, and I discuss this with people sometimes when I know they're in this mind state, but when you're real anxious, people tend to block that out, right? Like, what can I do to not feel that? Yeah. I'd rather seek pleasure than feelings of negative. And so I think the way I looked at it at some point when I understood it right, which would be a change of perspective is it's like your alarm clock going off in the morning, you know, saying it's time to deal with whatever responsibilities you have for that day. And so I'd always kind of tell people, like, use it for what it is. It's an alarm going off. It's telling you, deal with me, deal with me, you know, like wow. really focus what's it saying and then deal with whatever the alarm is sounding for instead of, you know, let me go be in a bad relationship. Let me go drink. Let me go drug. Let me, let me do anything mm -hmm. that drowns out. Mm -hmm. what it's trying to tell me the coping practices yeah mm -hmm. and the truth is you're, you're so much happier on the other end when you deal with it and face it head on yeah and i wouldn't say it's you know easier but mm -hmm. you know going out and drinking with your friends may make you happy but it's not that permanent joy side of things at yeah. some point at some point it's gonna probably deteriorate into something you don't enjoy and becomes a crutch and it's not getting you the results you really want. Mm -hmm. How many people would you say, have you ever counted how many people you've spoke with over the years? Ooh, um, <laughs> <laughs> that'd be tough. It would be tough. <laughs> I was telling someone the other day that I pre covid pandemic lockdown when i was working a lot of hours i would see roughly 600 people a month so I'd about 150 a week gosh yeah that's it's, it's 
a lot. I mean, yeah, that's you're hitting that. Uh, you're, I'm sure you're well over the 10,000 hours. You are an expert, and it's one on one. Like you said, you get this snapshot in people's lives, it's so unique. Yeah, and they're really willing to open up. You know, mm -hmm. there's, I don't think they have the feelings of shame or guilt with somebody that's you're seeing for 30, 35 minutes and you're not, um, mm -hmm. you're not being judged. I'm not, I'm not there to judge anybody. You know, I try to mm -hmm. get open and free and, you know, mm -hmm. something that they can really enjoy. But on, I think on the flip side of it too, that I learned was when people come and really unload on you, you know, mm -hmm. all, all day long, it's, it's, and I think, what I realized was you become empathic mm -hmm. and you're, you're practicing those ways either consciously or subconsciously, but you, you just, it's, if you don't center yourself and ground it, Oh, you, you wear it, you know, you, you're wore out, you go mm -hmm. home and you're exhausted and you're feeling all the emotions that all these people just dumped on you all day long. And, mm -hmm. and in my profession, I'm touching them, you know, you're, I was about to bring that up. There's yeah. a connection and there's something about that happens when you're touching. Yeah. You're absorbing on a, mm -hmm. on another level. Absorbing. Yeah. That's the word. I think I realized it even more so though, when people would come in and the two that stick out the most are when people come in and they're hungover. Mm. Cause then I'll, I'll, I'll kind of, be there real close, you know, within a foot and I'm touching them and, you know, they're really wearing it on their sleeve. But I realized that I was for about 30, 40 minutes. And after, after the fact, when I was done cutting their hair, I'd feel sick, you know, I'd feel nauseated and wow. you know, feverish and hot. And, you know, you're just like, Oh, I feel like I'm hungover. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is when, people are really heated and charged and angry. Like when they're arguing with their significant other, you know, sometimes you see them there you know, hammering away at their phone, texting back and forth. And you have that real gut wrenching feeling, you know, where your stomach's in your throat because you're just furious or, mm -hmm. you know, some, sometimes people are there and they're, I just found out, my wife's cheating on me or my girlfriend Oof. You know, and it's yeah. just, you, you could just feel it. You know, it's oh, like yeah. almost as if it's happening to you. Cause it is yeah. in a lot of ways you're it's, uh, we are emotional contagion, you know, it's a real, real thing. And you're picking up all the same signals, the same feelings. And you're now understanding the situation, the story you're living it with them. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're going through it. And sometimes you're going through it at the exact moment it's happening. You know, it's, you see that many people, you, you have almost an unlimited amount of possibilities of what could happen. Mm -hmm. There's like a million things I'm going to ask just from that conversation. So my first question is, do you block and how do you block? So now you know that you're picking up and absorbing. Are you blocking in a certain way? Are you using stones? How do you, as an empath, and actually, let's before you answer that, will you answer what is an empath in your opinion? I think the way that I understand it is people that are empathic have the ability to experience emotions that other other people are having 
mm-hmm. and they can, they can kind of pick up on that energy. Mm-hmm. And I think they're really receptive to energetic fields, if you will, that carry mm-hmm. a programming in the energy, whether that's emotional or any other thing that can be conveyed through that. And mm-hmm. I think you can experience that empathic nature through touch, through mm-hmm. speech. You know, and maybe there's a lot of things too that, you know, somebody doesn't want to talk that day or they're real shut down and you don't really need to hear it mm-hmm. to understand, you know, mm-hmm. what's, what's really going on. So I think, um, that's the way that I understand it for myself is yeah, sharing, spot on. sharing of energy. Spot on. And you're exactly right. Sharing of energy and sensory sensory existence yeah you're almost like an antenna i think whether Mm -hmm. you want to be or not when you touch i find that as an empath i can read someone from a distance but the second i touch images flash in my mind do you experience the images i don't think i experience the images i think i experience the emotions that they're going through from mm-hmm. the core you know and it, mm-hmm. it it seems to always play out with um issues with the gut you know like mm-hmm. and i guess you know maybe that's where the the saying you know your gut feeling comes from and that's that's what i use kind of to guide like i'm feeling this so i know this person's kind of going down this path today maybe uh maybe i try this to kind of break them of that mm-hmm when I was, you know, eight years ago, it's it's interesting you're talking about this. When we were going through, and then I want to ask about blocking because this is perfect tie-in. I was going through all my gut stuff. I literally had just eight years ago, very recently, had just had my large intestine removed, and I was going through some of the healing stuff at that time when I was, you know, sitting in the chair with you. And I remember so clearly. There's a few things I remember pretty. And one of them was you told me if I'm going to continue searching down this spiritual path, I had to strengthen and fortify my body because it would it would tear me apart from the inside. If I wasn't strong enough to actually like, you can search for it, that's fine. But if you're not going to focus on your physical as well, it's you will you will battle yourself to a to a great point. Yeah, I think I'd been told that by a few energy healers before you know that i had met and sometimes randomly or sometimes um maybe on purpose you know and Mm -hmm. they had mentioned to me multiple times like you have the ability to heal you know through Mm -hmm. energy healing through touch Mm -hmm. so if you don't this was the way they explained it to me i'm not sure that it applies in everybody's case but if you choose to ignore that at the point that you're aware and conscious of it, it will make you sick and it will kill you. Yeah. Either you do the work or you depart, I guess is kind of the short way of saying it, the way that they explained it to me. (laughs) It shook me to my core and it shook me to my core again today. It's a big deal. And that leads me to my question going back to the original, how do you block? 
as an empath, how do you put the boundaries up? How do you put the blockers up so you can clear? How do you clear yourself? Well, I don't think I ever thought about it by blocking, but I think I've thought about it as how do you just let the energy keep flowing? You know, like this, mm. this path of this, I don't know, like a spiral is the way I look at it, like energy spiraling and and how do you keep that flowing? Cause the second that you stop it at yourself is the second that you're holding it instead of letting it go and letting it move on. And in some cases, I think I had tried centering myself, you know, like I do some meditations where I would, I'd lay down and I would think of all the chakras and I would bring them up, spin them until they were very bright this is all just some visualization as my eyes are closed. And then I would make them rotate around my body and go into the earth. And I, I use that as kind of like a cleaning, like it was wow. centering myself so that all those areas would become smudge free, if you will. You know, that's the way I was thinking of it. And then I'd bring them back around to their position and then let them reenter the body. Wow. That's brilliant. I'm going to try that one tonight. Yeah, it's hard to hold your focus on them, though. I, I, it took some practice to the point where, you know, I was making the connection of which energy centers were which color and how they should look when they're clean, you know, and, mm -hmm. and bright and how they're vibrating, you know, spinning and and just take them all the way around the body underneath my back into the earth, let the earth take the bad energy and then bring it back up because mm -hmm. that's what nature is it's just a purifier it's a it's a provider it's a it's a purifier it's it's a home yeah i think trees do that for me you know i've realized mm -hmm. like i'm at most peace when i'm in the mountains around trees alone quiet mm -hmm. just something about the energy there Mm -hmm. yeah spot on um another thing that's interesting is when you're talking about connecting with someone in the chair and they're going through what they're going through you actually are, they're experiencing mirror work as well because i've never been to a barber that doesn't have a mirror that you're staring in front of right then and there and most people it's very rare to go sit in front of a mirror and stare at yourself or uh, you know for 40 minutes to an hour if it's yeah. allowed. Yeah, I, I think it, just depending on how some people like to work, you know, some like to stand behind the chair and face you towards the front and some like to work facing, you know, from the side of the wall, which is what most barbers do because they're, they're using things that are plugged into the wall. So they kind of have you spun around mm. the other direction. Interesting. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, have, with the healing process of the trees and nature and all the different pieces, where is your favorite place to ground? Where is your favorite place to experience that process? I'd say my favorite place, I mean, my favorite physical place that I like is a hike here 
that's called the catamount hike and you have to get through a lot of switchbacks on this mountainside and then once you get to the middle point of the hike you ascend up to a valley and it's called the garden of eden wow. and there's a lot of trees in there and a stream that runs right through it and just has a really good peaceful energy there i think it's a place i think about a lot even when i'm not there and even mm -hmm. if I can't get there a lot, it seems to cross my mind a lot. So I think I use that kind of as my gauge of where I'd like to be. Or if I'm not able to and I need to kind of close my eyes and center myself, that I, I seem to go to that place a lot. Got it. That's the happy place, if you yeah, want to simplify. Place. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever been out there on a full moon? I don't think I've done it at night. I think that'd be interesting to do, but it would take uh, it would take some preparation. You need a lot of light, and mm -hmm. you have to be really careful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I asked that. Yeah, do you remember talking about? So I've started a practice where I only cut my hair on a full moon. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You you were growing your hair out long. Is it? May I ask? Is it still grown out? It is. It was down. I would say about mid chest and then I cut it just because it was, it was becoming a hassle, you know, with athletics, sports, mm -hmm. those type of things. So mm -hmm. I, I brought it back up. It's about shoulder length now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This concept that hair is an antenna was very interesting. Yeah. I think that's a native American uh, belief there there's a lot of people that come in that are native american and they'll only let me trim their hair on full moons wow that's cool the vril also believed that um during hitler's time he had a group of women who had hair down to their feet and they would practice going into different dimensions they would whether it was using substances some of them would drown themselves gone for five minutes and then bring them back and they would come back with these extensive plans on how to build panzer tanks and some of these darker things that they're brought out during those times really came from a lot of the vril and it, they believed that it was from the their hair being longer the antenna that they were connected to this spiritual entity that was giving them the downloads to be able to rule control and destroy hmm. yeah that's interesting i guess I can see where the hair being an antenna analogy would make sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I've tried to get it long. I just can't do it. I can get it down to about my ears. And then there's that stage between the next to the next, and I can't get through it. It's I don't know what the deal is. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's about five more after that. <laughs> 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 um, you introduced me to a book. So you've been running recently and you just said that you were reading this book and it's uh, raw, the power of one, right? The law, the the law, law of, of one. one, the law of one. I started reading it and I'm hooked. I am hooked. Oh, it's so fascinating. Like the concepts, you know, I, I, I had come across it probably 10, 15 years ago, I think, when I had started college. 
maybe a little, mm-hmm. yeah, about 10, 15 years, somewhere in that time frame. And um, I read it in paperback, which is really tough because it's in a interview type of format. And then, you know, Audible became a thing after that. It wasn't a thing then. Mm-hmm. So now it's easy to kind of multitask, you know, I'd go run or go to the gym and work out and, or I'm driving to work for 45 minutes and I can listen and kind of make a lot of, uh, a lot of the chapters just fly by that way. And, mm-hmm. but the concept, uh, I think it really ties together to some of the things we're loosely talking about in terms of what the meaning of life is, you know, choosing to reincarnate here for a purpose to learn, you know, what, why are we here? Why do these things happen to us? And why do they keep happening to us in cycles? You know, until you've kind of made that conscious awareness of what's going on and understanding and acceptance of it, then you can move on from it. And I think that Mm -hmm. would kind of go back to like, religions you know that that's their version of asking for forgiveness right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the concept for those of you who have not read heard the book the concept is this there are three individuals and if you help me with this kind of fill in the holes sure. there are three individuals who over a period of 20 25 years learn how to meditate and learn how to practice the art of silence and the art of meditation. And what they then find out is when you meditate, you can start channeling. And as a channeler, you can actually channel, you want to use the word entities, spirits, races, concepts, downloads, there's a bunch of different words that can go into it. But you can then bring this information back. And it's now present in the material world that we live today. So these three individuals go and they start practicing with each other and they, in essence, find harmony together and kind of find a frequency that reaches out to this interdimensional being race called Ra. And it's, in essence, the same beings that came through to the Egyptians and the South Americans centuries, millennia ago. Um and left this information of the pyramids and some of these spiritual concepts. And because that information and the power that was brought with that information was used in more of a self-interested way, instead of love and light, they chose to leave. And they're now kind of monitoring from a distance and are still very happy to communicate and kind of continue the discussion for those who are willing to connect and process through with. So this interview is these three individuals or two individuals really from what i've three because i guess he's the one who wrote it who have gone through and literally one of the women will go into a trance and the man then asks questions to a channeled being that is the race of raw Um, yeah i believe they said that they were sixth density yes um and to put that in perspective i guess we're in the third density right now and so they were about a planet's worth of consciousness that had coalesced into one thought form. So Mic had, drop. <laughs> yeah. 
that's a, that's a hard one. To... Say it again, though. Say it again. Just go, just so they can really understand what that means. So the the way they explain the dimensions, I guess, would help first. And so a first dimension would be what we would consider um, water, uh, trees, rocks, matter, matter, things that have a consciousness, but they're not aware of themselves. A second dimension being would be animals, you know, uh, dogs, cats, deers, and anything that falls in that realm. Plants. Yeah. And I think the distinction there are the third dimension. We exhibit a lot of those same attributes but we're aware of ourselves and we're seeking to understand we're right. We have choice. We have choice and free will. And with Mm -hmm. our free will, we're, we're seeking more awareness of self where Mm -hmm. I think the second dimension with animals are very primal, right? It's just Mm -hmm. kind of your primal needs. They do say that each being in those dimensions will obviously ascend to the next and the example they gave were household pets are ready for harvest to the next dimension they're they're the ones that exhibit behavior that shows that they're aware of their actions they're aware of love in some way you know they're aware of seeking those things out whether it's being petted or you know what whatever action Mm -hmm. it is that gives them that emotion it's the it's the connection in the eyes you can see it yeah yeah definitely yeah and so the third dimension would be us would be human beings and we're here on earth which you know look at it however you'd like but basically a training ground for us to go through life experiencing emotions Mm -hmm. so that so that we can then internalize them, understand them, and learn from them so that we can continue our evolution spiritually into the fourth. And the Mm -hmm. fourth being a dimension of love and wisdom. And the way they explain it makes me think of some Far East type of religions or beliefs, like with the yin and the yang, where you go into the fourth unbalanced. You're very passionate and very um, on the love side where you need to seek the wisdom to balance out those things so that you're not too far one direction. And then the fifth, if I recall correctly, they ascend into a fifth level where you start to coalesce. There's no polarization there's starting to become no polarizations of negative and positive and those opposites that would be your yin and yang onto the sixth where they're at and that's the planet's worth of consciousness that has the same thought processes and there's no longer a need for right or wrong or negative or positive it's just an understanding and knowing and they believe it goes through octaves so seventh they briefly touch on but they're not there so they don't offer 
yeah a whole lot of information they claim that you're now close you're now one with the creator of all and then you're now creating your own of all yeah you're you're basically at the the gateway of the eighth and the eighth is the return to to all to the infinite to the to the one to god to whatever whatever belief system you believe but everything leads back to there Mm -hmm. and so they're they're in the sixth and they're being um called upon by this group they're they're saying that we're not here giving unwarranted or unasked that we're only here communicating with you because you asked us to Mm -hmm. and i don't know that they consciously knew that in the beginning but maybe subconsciously this is what their paths were and this is what they were calling for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's, it's just fascinating this whole concept because i feel like we're seeing it right now because it is heading and they talk about the fourth being where it's a social construct that we're heading toward this oneness of all and we're seeing it now it's being i think we're hearing it as ai and now we're also seeing this social media everyone's now connecting and collaborating but it's polarizing even more so more than ever but at the same time there's this underground movement of everything's moving toward love everything's moving toward acceptance everything's moving towards the light and i i see that so having the other side is just fighting that and gripping onto that so hard trying to but you know what you resist persists i feel like we're in the middle of that process transitioning through yeah i think it's just you know from the beginning of this conversation we had when we were talking about perspective and most people look at it from a fearful perspective. They don't like change. You know, they don't, mm-hmm. they don't want to entertain the idea of change. They're comfortable. You mm-hmm. know, they let me stay in this comfortable place, but it's just a misperception of, of what's really going on when you, you can see it as it's catalysts that are helping us experience the emotions that we need so that we can understand them gain the wisdom and then use free will to make the better choice mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. have you channeled before never channeled uh, i would say the closest to anything that would be of that nature would be um, astral projection what do you how do you claim astral projection to be like how do you define that uh, and the way that I understand astral projection would be the out-of-body experience, the separation of your subconscious mind from your body that mm-hmm. allows you control in that realm mm-hmm. of thought process. I think a lot of people probably do it inadvertently when they're sleeping, mm-hmm. whether it's lucid dreaming or you know that kind of half half awake, half asleep, and the nidra. Yeah, and you you can you you know that you're laying in bed, you're conscious of that, but you're also having this experience that you're able to somewhat shape and guide, or at least have some interaction with. Mm-hmm. People see and, themselves floating over their body. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people they claim that they'll float over their bodies and they'll be able to see their surroundings and float through walls and explore and go farther and farther i've i've never gotten too far away from that i've i've probably only projected maybe 
twice intentionally and once unintentionally. But I, I, I really enjoy the lucid dreaming part of it. Like I, mm -hmm. I don't know if that's an evolution of the process where you kind of just skip the exploring of your physical surroundings and just kind of go to the deeper realms. Um, the way I look at it is when you project, you kind of ascend through these different dimensions that we were just speaking about mm -hmm. and the higher your thought form and the more positive and love centered it is will allow the energy in you to vibrate at a higher frequency and the more negative you are the lower realms that you'll tend to experience and visit mm -hmm. and i think um, people that are uninformed of these ideas or that start to explore them without actually understanding them you you go into it maybe fearful or afraid mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. what you're going to find and that's what you're going to attract to yourself those those fear. are the type of, is fear fear mm -hmm. entities fear energy mm -hmm. and they'll manifest and you'll have some bad experiences i think maybe those are the catalyst you need to make the corrections but in the meantime it it does uh tend to scare people off mm -hmm. what were your experiences with the when you were intentionally lucid dreaming or astral projecting however you described the two uh this was probably right around the time i was speaking about of um being on my own and during mm -hmm. the college time like having that time to do introspection and, and read and study and learn about who I am and what my insecurities are. And, and I think I had gotten to a point where I was relatively comfortable with what I knew or what I thought I knew about myself enough to kind of explore the other side of things, which mm -hmm. would be that kind of dream state. And so I started doing that and I started, uh, concentrating on that trying to meditate into a astral projection state and one of the first times i did it i went through what i perceived to be like an in-between realm and the way i understand it from this book of raw that everything repeats in your kind of sacred ge geometry patterns so there's seven dimensions, eight dimensions that you ascend through while each dimension has eight sub dimensions and those sub ones have eight sub dimensions, which comprise of one full dimension and mm. the lower dimensions of the third, which we're in would be your negative entities. And so I think when I was doing it, I was a little afraid and I tend, I tended to go to those those levels and I was um, I was starting to hear you know be afraid even outside of it before that after mm -hmm. I first projected into this real dark you know kind of astral dimension and so when I came back from it you know I would be alone in the house and swore I heard footsteps you mm -hmm. know cabinets opening dishes clanking you know things that were distinct that i know nobody's there so how would i hear these very discernible sounds and mm -hmm. movements 
And so at one point, um, it was probably a few weeks after that where I was laying in bed kind of thinking about meditating and trying it again and started to kind of go into, you know, somewhat of a lucid state. And I was snapped back to this awake state because the bed had slid out from under me at least a couple inches. You know, wow. It was very like distinct as to like, whoa, like my body, like this whole bed, moved. This, yeah. this whole bed moved inches. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I, I'd say I probably stopped and blocked it out for spent a good portion of blocking that for a couple years, maybe where I was like, yeah, I'm not ready for that. I'm not, <laughs> I need to ground, I need to ground up. Yeah. Let, <laughs> let me figure out what's going on here. Right. And, <laughs> and so I think what was interesting was, you know, what I had come to kind of understand was, if you do those type of things and you don't go into it with understanding that you will attract, you know, those fear-based energies and they'll stick with you. And, and so when I was learning and trying to understand, I came across those kind of meditations of clearing the chakras because they say, if you, do that kind of work and then don't clear your chakras those type of energies will attach themselves to you and they won't let go of your silver cord and so what is the silver cord the silver cord is the a lot of people when they leave their body there's a silver cord that connects them back to their physical body and mm. when they start to leave it a lot of people say they hear like a pop or a snap and that's what is you breaking away from the physical body, the, the silver cord that holds mm. your subconscious and consciousness together. And, and, or a lot of people will feel, um, I've had this happen to me before where I think it feels very shocking when that happens and you're, it feels like your body, you're pulled, right? Like you're, mm -hmm. And you, you get kind of snapped back into your body type of thing. But it's jarred, jolted. Yeah, very jolted. Because I had had dreams where that happened too. Like, I think I was having a dream where somebody had pulled me off the bed or something like that. And I and woke up because I had slid a couple inches down the bed. You know? And I wasn't sure if if that was an experience that was maybe supernatural or is because I was jolted back to my body. And then, you know, that's, that's what it felt like on the physical. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, whenever I choose to astral project or lucid dream and I'm really searching for it, I will intention before I go to sleep, what I'm looking for, what I'm grounding for. So it's heading toward the positive dimensions or octaves, octaves as we're using the words here. Yeah. Um, and I will place stones to ensure that my body stays protected because your body's a vessel. And when you choose to leave, it's something that that's a factor and you need to protect your body and make sure that it's safe. And cause you're, you don't want to bring things back with you and you also don't want things taking advantage while you're not there. 
Yeah, sure. So I think that was something that was a big like learning experience for me in that aspect. And then a couple years later, I kind of was okay with it. I learned how to ground and I learned, mm -hmm. you know, I had some more experiences that led me back to it where I was like, okay, I'm ready to, I'm not afraid anymore. You mm -hmm. know, I have a firmer grasp on, on what I think I can achieve. So I was ready to kind of give it a, another shot, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so the, through the lucid dreaming aspect of it, I think I would jump just kind of straight into it. I wouldn't maybe necessarily astral project anymore, but I'd go straight to the kind of like astral realm in a lucid dreaming nature. And I was felt like I was dreaming of the astral realms, you know, like floating around in them. And at one point I, uh, I would ask people that I would come in contact with that had some knowledge about it. Like, you know, have you ever experienced this or that or, mm -hmm. but my questions were more so centered around, um, contacting energy in those realms. Mm -hmm. And most people had always had the, um, perspective of, you know, if you, meet an energy that you don't like or an entity or a demon or whatever your culture tends to call them you would tell it you know if your intentions aren't love and light then leave now mm -hmm. and so Perfect i think response yeah and and i had always kind of kept that in mind but i had had some experiences where that didn't work really yeah and this might be like post you moving away from Colorado Springs. So I don't know if we ever had this conversation, but I was, uh, I think I was, maybe I was in a wrong state of mind, maybe, or maybe I was in a fearful state of mind. I don't, I don't know what led me to like the lower levels. And then it felt like I was in a level that was like a purgatory. And so I was trying to ascend to a higher, you know, I, the purpose of me doing it was I wanted to learn, you know, as knowledge, seeking knowledge. And so along the way, um, I was contacted, like, it was almost like something floated at me, right? Like it saw me and came to me. Mm -hmm. And from what, what I understood when I went to research this was that as you ascend through these dimensions, and if you're vibratory patterns are brighter you're you're almost like a bright light in a dark room right so like the analogy of a, a moth to a flame type of thing like mm -hmm. every everybody could see you and mm -hmm. so this this negative entity i think approached me like rapidly to the point where i was almost kind of like you couldn't run you know there was nowhere to go Mm -hmm. and, and I think I'd become like aware consciously of like, Oh, I'll ask it to leave if its intentions are not positive. And it, it didn't, right. It came at me in, in an attack mode, you know, like, and as it like came closer, it, it turned into my brother. Whoa. And so I'm looking at it and it, it pulled out a, like a dagger, like this real old looking dagger. And it came towards me and I didn't want to hurt it because it was my brother, you know, I was like, no, stop. You know? Trick. Yeah. 
yeah, it was a trick. And, and it stabbed me through the hand because I'd put my hands up and I remember the blade like piercing through one hand and coming out the other side and, and it, I, it's like almost like you could feel it. It was hurting. Mm-hmm. Like you could feel the physical pain on kind of both sides of, of, uh, the dream state. And so this like experience progresses and I end up like coming to the actualization that it's not my brother and it's a, a demon, if you will, or a witch kind of, cause it took a female form. And once you realized what it was, it stopped using the, the form of whatever the trick was. And so in, in this process, I ended up cutting its head off and, wow. and I wrapped it up in this like blue cellophane to take the body. Cause I knew I was like, well, I need to do something when I took it and I, I gave it to like a guide, you know, like here, take care mm-hmm. of this type of thing. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think I was back like ascending and I was like, and I had a thought, I'm like, well, that's not going to do it. Like it's energy, you know, and you can't get rid of it. Like you would in a bearing a body. Like what you talked about, it's blocking. You have to move around with it. It's not just bearing because then it gets louder. Yeah. So, so I turned around and went back and I, and I retrieved this body that I'd cut the head off of and, and I took it and I did the same kind of concept with the, that I do with the chakras of grounding. And I kept like rotating it in and out of like an earth surface until it had like dissipated and went away. Wow. When you woke up, what was the transition like and how transitioning back into to, to this dimension? Um, I think on the way back, like what it was, I had saw, I saw an old, like an old man, like a shadow of him, a light behind him and an old man standing in the doorway. And I think what I had realized at that moment, at least this is the way it made sense to me was all the things that I was hearing in the house and all the clanking and cabinets closing and dishes and footsteps, things that were very discernible that it was him. It was this old man. And the old man, um, turns out he had built the house in 1956 and he was the only one owner and had died, um, a few years before I'd bought the house and his widow that he had built the house for her was the one that sold it to me. And she left because she was up in years. She'd fallen, broke her ribs. She was in her nineties. So it was only, they were the only ones that ever lived there. And I think that his spirit or soul was trapped there and it was being trapped by this, this entity that was there that had attacked me maybe for living in it. And the way it really made me felt was that I had changed the house. Like the spirit had like Mm -hmm. a draw, a draw to it. And I completely like remodeled it, you know, gutted it and remodeled it. Mm -hmm. And so after I had gotten rid of it, then I finally seen this, this guy standing in the doorway that was the old man that lived there. His name was, um, what was it? Fritz. His name was Fritz Collins, I believe. And so 
the way I, he was looking at me from the doorway with the light behind him, I, I kind of felt like got this gut feeling that he was kind of saying like, thank you. Now I can go mm -hmm. like now I can leave. Like I'm not, I'm not trapped here anymore. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, yeah. It was just these this really profound, like lucid dream. And then after that, I, I never heard anything in that house ever again. I never, I stopped waking up at three 30 every night. I didn't hear anything fell that completely at ease like a weight was off my shoulders and wow yeah it's powerful yeah it was very interesting and then i think that's what i was searching for when i was asking people like have you ever had an experience where you were projecting or lucid dreaming where you tried all the things they tell you to try to get rid of negative entities and it didn't work and the majority mm -hmm. of everybody that I'd ever spoke to had said they had never heard like a full on attack mm -hmm. where you were just, you were attacked by a negative entity in a realm like that, that it didn't seem like those type of things happened very often or that they mm -hmm. obeyed the principles that these people had studied. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's I think. I, th I think the dream state, sorry, the, the dream state was just, for me, that's where a lot of the knowledge comes from. Like, it's always been that way, mm -hmm. aside from the empathic touch and feelings and stuff like that. But it was always, it was always my mom, after she passed away, that would come to me in dreams. And they would always be these really profound type of dreams that would happen. And she would visit you. So she, she, she had passed at this point. Yeah. She was so, uh, when I moved for college to Colorado Springs, she was like a year into her diagnosis and uh, breast cancer. And she went into remission about five years into it for a short period and then made it another four years after that. So she made it a total of nine years with breast cancer. Wow. That was stage four. What a gift. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was tough. She battled. Yeah. She was a fighter. Yeah. And so I think the first day that she had passed away, which was February 7th of 2013, um, that night I had a dream of her and she took me and showed me her mansion. We were driving on this highway and she, uh, got in the car with me. We drove on this highway and we could see her house from the highway from far with the lights on and it was a like a house you could see in santa fe like a real i don't know it was santa fe type of stucco like adobe mm -hmm. and it was really big house we parked pulled up and she walked me in the front door into this like grand atrium with this second floor that kind of had uh rails and this area that you would walk around this grand atrium upstairs and then she gave me a, a full a full tour of her her new mansion and said i'm home you know you don't you don't have to worry about me anymore oh. so that was reassuring i think it helped me to kind of let go mm -hmm. but there I'm was doing... a... oh sorry no, go ahead. I was going to say there's there's been probably about four or five others that were a lot deeper than that one that were 
pretty profound that may be of use to a lot of people other than just myself. Mm -hmm. Please share. I would love to hear them. The, the second one, um, the second one that I had had of her was entering a ship. We were walking onto the back of a ship and she was taking me by my hand onto this ship through uh, these hallways once we got inside. And I noticed when we had first boarded the ship, there was two dogs, two like chocolate labs. And um, I, I just found it odd, you know, it's like, why, why are there dogs on a ship? Like, even when I think about ships now, I never think of dogs on ships. So I was mm -hmm. just like, huh, it stuck out in my mind. And so we're walking through and she's taking me to these different rooms and opening the doors. And every time she would open a door, it would take me to a different point in her life. And so she would open the first door and it took me to her getting married at 19 to my father. And I saw her in her like wedding dress and they were surrounded by like family and friends. And it was almost like set. I don't know where they got married. I don't know if I've ever asked them that, but I felt like they was at their wedding on their wedding night at the reception. And then, wow. so kind of experienced that and all the emotions that came with it and then closed the door and walked down the hall. She opened another one. And the next one was kind of like her having children, you know, like my brother being older than me. And it was that experience in her life of having kids. And I, I feel like in retro timeline. Yeah. And in retrospect, when I woke up, I'll finish it. But what I realized was that she was showing me all the very important things in her life that had happened. And so after her having kids, um, kept walking down and then kind of went to the point at the end of the hallway where she was on her deathbed. And so at that point, like as she led me, I kind of walked into the room and uh, the spirit that was guiding me kind of disappeared and I kind of immersed myself in this like reality and I went and laid on the bed with her and kind of had these this conversation to kind of like wrap up, you know, the, the things that maybe I didn't get to say while well, she was alive before she died and um, let her know, you know, like really like how I felt and, and those type of things. And so after I had had that conversation, I stood up out of the bed to walk out of the room and I turned and I noticed behind the open door that, that my father was uh, hanging from the corner. He had hung himself. Like it mm. instantly felt like it was a suicide. And, uh, so I, I remember pausing and looking at that and trying to understand it. And I think that what it had symbolized for me was that he maybe didn't get to have that conversation I just had fully. It, maybe, you know, this is my perspective. Mm -hmm. on it. Yeah. And that he was living with regret for the things that he had done. Like, and maybe had done during their relationship that mm -hmm. he didn't he didn't get to apologize for possibly and so maybe it wasn't necessarily like a physical representation of suicide but more so that he was dying from regret and shame mm -hmm. and those kind of pains mm -hmm. and so we closed the the door or i did and walked out and when i walked out i went into the the front part of the ship and the dog 
the two dogs had ran around and they were waiting up there and kind of like waiting to be like petted pet and then fed and put like food in their dish and 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 then I woke up at that point I believe and um so then I started getting a phone call from from somebody at the shop like for the next oh probably two months and the person kept telling me like I need to speak to you you know we let's go to lunch right and I was always busy just like oh I can't today you know or you know I'm all booked up let's try another time but I really didn't have any reference to what it was for and so she contacted me again a few more times and I kind of politely just rain checked and then another time she was like well let's go to lunch across street I'll come to you and I, I think I told her oh you know I already ate and she said that's fine then just drink a glass of water and listen <laughs> and so I was like okay right. yeah so I went and so sat down with her and she ordered like a salad I think and I was drinking some water and she said I've been wanting to talk to you because I've been seeing your mom. Like I see her and wow. And she wants me to tell you something. And so then she proceeded to tell me like, you know, your, your mother wants you to know that you're carrying around a lot of negative energy and defense of her. Like you're, you're defending her pride but it's not your your cross to carry because i think at some point i had realized once she was gone that she was kind of the buffer in between a lot of people in my life you know like mm -hmm. she was so graceful about it and not saying but she always like took the negative situations and hid me from them and when she was gone then um there was nothing there to to kind of buffer any of that so i was very aware of how people treated her and what they did and how gracefully she just kind of kept living so that we could have a, a peaceful life, you know, type. And I, I think for me, it seemed like a lot of males in her life didn't treat her the way she had wanted mm -hmm. to be treated, whether it was, you know, close relatives to her or others that I won't name, but, Mm -hmm. um, I, w I was holding a lot of resentment towards those people. You know, I didn't like what they had done or mm -hmm. the things that they'd made her experience. So this lady was like, you need to let that go. It's really not your, your cross to carry. And your mom wants you to stop, like stop defending her pride. And so that, that was kind of like a real eye opener. And she said, so she told me, you know, like, I see your spirit animal. It's an, e it's an eagle. It's on your right shoulder. Right. And I happen to have a tattoo of a giant eagle on my right. Shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no way this lady could have known. Anything. No. And that's exactly. Now you've got two different people coming in from different perspectives of life, able to say the same thing, same, like that just doesn't happen. Yeah. Very, very eye opening and kind of shocking. And so at that point she said, tell me about the dreams you've had about her. Right. And she, I kind of told her the first one I told you. And then the second one, she kind of knew about that's what she wanted to talk about. She and already she, knew she was leading. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. She was leading. And so when I got to like the ship 
I was telling her about it. And she said, before I could tell her about anything else, she said, the two dogs are you and your brother. And I was like, what? Right. And she was like, she was like, yeah, the two dogs you saw on that ship that were in the beginning of the story and at the end of the story, that's you and your brother both. And I was like, wow, you know, and then, and so then she kind of, it was explaining, you know, the way I kind of explained it, that lucid dream to you, I think was she kind of helped put a lot of clarity towards it, which I thought was pretty interesting. So that was kind of like shocking, I guess, to me. And that was the gist of that experience mm-hmm. with that lady in that dream. Mm-hmm. There was a another point where we had met this lady that did palm readings and she like grabbed my hand for some reason. And she was reading my palm, I guess, and kind of like closing her eyes. And she was like telling me like, you're so layered. You're like an onion. You know, she started crying. She was like, you're, you're like an onion with all these different layers. I've never met anybody with a soul that old. Mm-hmm. That you're, you've had all these past experience in life. And, um, and she had told me that you've been chasing your mother through every reincarnation of your life since the beginning. And she, she had uh, died in every life that you had experienced. And then she, I think she told me in one life she was your sister, in another life she was your daughter, in another life she was your brother's wife, and in this life she was your mother. And then until you learn that death will always happen and you can never save her, that you'll continue to experience this and you'll always be chasing her soul through time. Wow. Yeah, and I, and I think maybe that was one of the big things I had to learn, you know, was that I wasn't aware of, but I was having a hard time letting go of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that was an, an interesting um, perspective that I hadn't considered mm-hmm. to be true. Um, but she had told me that you've you have a really old soul that's traveled through time, and if you you've been alone in every one of those experiences, you've mm-hmm. you've spent a lot of time alone, and kind it's... of almost made it seem like it was like a, a sad thing to her. Yeah, like it was time that you had the opportunity to graduate if you choose. Exactly, like understanding, accepting, you know, that type of thing. And so after I'd had that second conversation with that lady, um, I had this dream about her that I was trying to, I was trying to travel through time. And I'd been considering this concept, I think, consciously a lot because I was reading books about time, you know, and relativity. Mm-hmm. And and so she came to me in this dream and I was at a barbecue at a park. And I had to go to I had to go to the restroom and the, the people that were throwing the barbecue, their house was down this alley real close by. So I went to down this alley and I could smell cooking, you know, like. Uh, something's going on and so I was I was kind of putting it together that they were cooking to take over the park and I went through this open garage to get into a backyard to go into the house to the kitchen and 
she was standing there with with my grandmother and they were both cooking and uh and she had like turned around and said oh you found me she said good we've been we had been meaning to have this conversation for a long time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so at that point she um she said i'm going to teach you how to time travel today i was like oh, okay like i was excited. yes please <laughs> yeah i've been waiting for this one for a long time and so she was explaining it to me she said think about the way you feel when you lose somebody you love like the closest person or think about the way you feel when you get this rush of emotions when you know like i love this person and she said do you think about it too analytical you're trying to figure out the the science and mathematics behind it. Mm -hmm. Time travel is done with with filling. You, mm -hmm. you have to fill it at the core of your being, and and then it'll happen. Then you can mm -hmm. traverse on a nonlinear way. So I remember, like in the dream, I'm like concentrating, and I time travel, and I go back. Oh, about four years. And then I, I meet her in this room and she said, oh, good, you did it, but you're not, but you didn't go back far enough. And I'm like, okay. So I tried it again and I went back a few more years and she said, good, now you got it down, but you're still not where I want you at. And so I think I went back to the point where she was first diagnosed with cancer mm. and she was, she said, when I got there, it was kind of like in a medical setting. She said, okay, good. You're here now. This is where I wanted you. And she said, um, you can never save me. That's not what this was about. I wasn't teaching you how to time travel so that you can learn how to save me. You'll never save me. Mm -hmm. I'll always die. And she said, the reason I brought you back here was so that you can understand what your brother and your father are going to go through and you can help mm. them. So when I mm -hmm. send you back, you go back and you help them to understand and you help them get through this. Mm -hmm. And that's why I taught you how to time travel so that you can come back and get these teachings so that you can go back and then help them. And so I thought that was a pretty interesting, interesting dream to have after I'd met that lady that told me that, you've been chasing your mother's soul through time mm -hmm. and it was kind of like her bringing me to the table and saying you can't save me you never could and you never mm -hmm. will mm -hmm. the only reason now you here, know yeah now you know and the only reason you're here is so that you can go and help your brother and your father mm -hmm. which yeah it was just super profound dream i mean it was almost kind of changed my relationship i think i have with my dad you know there was wow it came present moment as well yeah i think so it really helped me to like understand what he was going through with that process you know mm -hmm. like i couldn't relate and it was causing friction between the two of us because we both wanted to be heard and understood but we couldn't get out of our own ways to mm -hmm. understand each other you know and mm -hmm. so I think totally. it, it gave me that portion of it. And it also like helped me to go farther. Like 
when I was saying earlier, like I went back and I learned what all of my um, insecurities were and where they stemmed from and what the root of them were on every level. I did that for, for my dad and maybe my grandfather too. And it helped me like map out where I, where I came from and how I got to where I was and why those things happened and gave me like a little empathy, you know, and maybe so helpful and some sympathy in ways too, so that I could see like, well, this is how we grew up. You know, this is what their environment was. This is, this is what leads people to become who they are. And then they have kids and then they raise them the best they know how. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then I think to not just speed past that, but the last dream I had had of her, um, she took me to the Akashic records. Yeah. I was about to ask you if you'd seen them. Yeah. She, what are the Akashic records? So Akashic, however, yeah, I've heard it both audience. ways. Mm-hmm. It's the, the hall or library, if you will, for, for the soul's journey, every individual soul that exists and it has a record of all their past. And so, you can go and view or view others is what I thought. Mm-hmm. And so the odd thing was we were traveling on a boat and it was a an island we were going to and it was it looked like the Target logo, like the store Target. Mm. And so we had to keep going through these rings of land. And once you would get past, you'd go through like a channel to get to the next ring of land with like these like water moats around them giant though and then you'd go to the next ring until we had finally got to the center ring and once we had got out um, of the boat we walked onto this land and it was this massive like glass building like a hall and so we got there and um, walked in and I was able to see some of my own records but then it was explained to me that you're not allowed to see anybody else's records mm-hmm. that are infringes on free will and mm-hmm. and people's um, spirit guides or their protectors mm-hmm. will stop you from doing that. You can only do it with permission from the other person. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, and so that was uh, something that I had been reading a lot about, and I kind of see the correlation between the two, you know, like how I'll spend a couple years reading about something and wondering and trying to meditate on it. And then here she comes in a dream, you know, every mm-hmm. so often it gives me the answer I'm looking for. I think it's so cool that you're talking about that because it really, it is years, potentially you were researching for years, meditating for years. It is a patience. It is a practice in patience. It is a practice in stillness. It is a practice in silence. It is a practice in being with yourself in like a higher level consciousness. And in today's world, that is freaking terrifying for people. Netflix, TV, sensory overload, city lights. That's where we're at right now in a lot of ways. Choosing to actively go. I'm really grateful that you gave both positive and negative because it is scary if you reach one of these scary experiences. 
And at the other side, though, you've got a real immense amount of healing that can come when you choose to go into these other things. And like everything in the world, you've got the positive, you've got the negative, it's the blend of all of it. But it's really interesting to hear the perspective laid out like this. Yeah. And I think it, what you're stating there too, on the positive and the negative and kind of the world we live in in society, like I, I think I realize when I see things like particularly like politics, mm-hmm. um, cause they're very polarized. Mm-hmm. I think you can just kind of look. And when you, when I hear people speaking from a fear-based perspective, it kind of helps me to understand where they're at mentally, right? Where they're at spiritually, like mm-hmm. you're, you're fear mongering, you're, you're spreading things that are going to instill fear into other people. And mm-hmm. I don't, in my mind, it just doesn't match up. That's, it's not the right path. You should be bringing people together and teaching togetherness, you know, and love and, mm-hmm. and those things. So I, I, you can see it, you know, if, if you're paying attention, but mm-hmm. you, you definitely see how contentious and divisive politics are. And you, you can look right there and just see a blatant example of it. Use your gut. And you can feel it. You'll know immediately what level it's at and what side it's trying to go toward. Yeah, that intuition. If you can mm-hmm. really hone that and turn that into a tool for yourself, I think that'd be a very valuable thing to have. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I just interviewed uh, Robert Wagoner, the president of the Lucid Dreaming Institute, a few weeks ago. And when he lucid dreams, it was really interesting because he actually lucid dreams with a group of people and they, as a group will go to different places together where literally they can, they'll call each other up and say, Hey, I had a dream last night. There was such and such going on. I looked to the left and there was a person and they will actually have the same experience of each other. And they were the people inside the rooms together. They're learning how to travel together. Okay. Yeah, that's super interesting. That's on uh, maybe another level. Yeah. I mean, this is a lifelong practice that he's been doing. In addition, he talked about he used to go play in the in the space and actually travel from a linear space perspective, geography or geolocation perspective. But now he's starting to ask questions to the higher level consciousness of the game maker of the lucid dream. And he says that you can actually stop and ask questions to this higher level consciousness that's orchestrating the environment and they will have a conversation with you. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. What it makes me think is he's actually speaking to himself. I, yes, spot on. Yeah. I mean, even in, well, in a lot of teachings, but even in the law of one, they, they touch on, you know, we, we are all of the same infinite possibilities. We're of the same creator. We all mm-hmm. possess all of those qualities in them. And we are just the, the different uh, distortions, if you will, of this, mm-hmm. of this one that are seeking to return. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's such an important thing because we talked about dogma earlier, and it's so important to remember in almost all religions that I can, I mean, almost all, I don't want to say all because, you know, it's the way to get anyway, but almost all, it's always God or whatever spirit entity it's, is everything. And God is all of everything. But when God then shows up in a different form or light, there's such divisive like frustration. We really are practicing this concept that God is everything and has all power, all, all knowledge, all everything, all existence. Of course, it's going to show up in different ways. And you're going to have a relationship with itself, within yourself, of yourself. Yeah, in which I think on a, a deeper level, um, maybe you're seeking yourself and you're not seeking God, or maybe it's one in the same. Mm-hmm. But in a lot, a lot of religions, speaking like that is uh, blasphemy. You know, mm-hmm. like, to say that, well, I consider myself a part of God. You mm-hmm. know, therefore, I am God. Therefore, mm-hmm. if I'm looking for my answers, they're going to be found internally, and therefore, I may not need the kind of blind faith type of religion to pacify me anymore Mm -hmm. it takes the institution out of it all of a sudden and that's the scary part yeah yeah you know and even down to like some simpler levels like if you believe in the free will path and that anything that interferes with that may not be positive but Mm -hmm. even from the standpoint of thou shall not and then add whatever commandment you want but does that really obey free will at that point mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or are they control fascinating yeah, yeah. totally Ugh, this is what i'm talking about and i it's just awesome so because we've just covered a ton and i people are going to hear this and they're going to want to know should I maybe all the things, but if they decide they want to jump into this, do you have a recommendation for a good place to start? Hmm. I think what I would do is maybe get some good books, literature to kind of prepare yourself to go down that path, whether it's self exploration to, handle and deal with your insecurities and that can be a traumatic experience you're ripping a lot of band-aids off Mm -hmm. but i think first things first you you have to get to the point where you've conquered your fears and insecurities and then you're ready to do the higher level work at that point Mm -hmm. i think that's that's where i would start you know i see a lot of people that deal with anxiety and depression and that always seems to be the root of it. And until yep. you really get to know somebody, you can't really know where they're stemming from. But I've had people in my life where I could see it and mm-hmm. I can pick out each individual instance in their life that they need to heal. Mm-hmm. But until they're ready to do it, you know, it, people become defensive. You know, it's a choice. It has to be a choice. Yeah, very much so. Mm hmm. 
I love it. Um, thank you. I have my questions for you because I just think I'm so excited to hear your answers. Will you help me understand your con- what is consciousness to you? The, quest- the three questions I ask everyone, what is consciousness to you? To me, consciousness, most importantly, would be the awareness of self mm. in, all, in all facets. Mm-hmm you know, mentally, spiritually, physically, but it's the awareness of self. Mm -hmm. Love it. And then what are emotions? Now that you have this consciousness and we've talked about emotions as being such a, like it kind of got you started on this path in a lot of ways. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I would say with emotions, the way I see them now is the catalyst that cause us to experience life you know life experiences cause these emotions and they teach us the lessons that we need to learn so that we can move through life and and evolve spiritually Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) i love it this is so true and then last one what is the number one emotion you experience on a day-to-day basis um i would say at peace you know i i feel like i'm at i'm at peace like it's i I sleep great i don't wake up or have trouble going to sleep i i like where my life is at i understand and appreciate that the journey is just as important as the destination that the perspective of enjoying the process of the journey even if it is difficult makes your life that much more rewarding mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. exactly boom dude that's awesome i appreciate you coming out and actually talking with me about all this stuff Oh, yeah. appreciate you having me. I mean, I feel like there's probably two more hours we can expound on what we've talked about. Easily. And we're going to do it again. <laughs> 100%. Absolutely. Because there's truly, you're exactly right there. We just, we just scratched the surface. It's almost like this first one we have to define and kind of put some basis to how we can even have a conversation. Yeah, you got to you got to get some character development in there kind of understand, understand the things that happen to people here. Right. Stories. Yeah. Right. And then from now we have people digest, sit in it, think about it, have their own experiences. And then we jump into now like the real depth and root of it. Cause I think that's where we, you started talking about and immediately you jumped into that. It's you start with the emotions. You really, you start with consciousness then you started with the emotions and then you had to find the root. And I think that's the the search, right? We're looking for this root. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're always searching and I think when you can identify it at the very least and then formulate a plan for it, it puts you at ease. It'll put you at a, a different place in your life where you're, you're not reacting to situations anymore. Mm-hmm. 
you're the creator of your own life and it can be mm -hmm. whatever you want it to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, and I, I could be wrong on this, but my gut intuition says the root is right this very second revolving around healing. Yeah. Yeah. I believe so. I think it's the healing of your, yourself first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And then maybe heal the relationships that you've damaged. Mm -hmm. And then after you do that, maybe you can heal whatever else is broken in your life. And at that point you're creating positivity because every relationship you open with from there is on the right foot and is light. Yeah. It's light. You, you have the choice from there to take yeah. it wherever you want it to go. Yeah. With a clear, clean slate. That's just pure. Yep. It's your choice. You're the creator yeah. at that point. Yep. I think we just nailed the meaning of life in a lot of ways. <laughs> is there a way to trademark that or copyright it? Or yeah, there is. We'll work on that. We'll make that happen. <laughs> yeah. We'll turn that into what, what's the new, uh, like intellectual property way to Oh, say? yeah. The uh, new currency, uh, NGIs, NTF. There it is. Yeah. That is officially, yeah, done. You, you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, nobody copied that. <laughs> uh, dude, anything else? Last thoughts? How do people get in touch with you, if not? Um, so my social media platforms, I, I use primarily for work. I don't post a whole lot. I kind of... Mm -hmm. I kind of just take a peek at them. I like to, to look, but I don't interact a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Maybe because it frustrates me a little bit, you know, that's, yeah, you're choosing something that's a lot, probably quote unquote healthier. Yeah. But I, I can be reached there. Um, maybe the, the answer to why it frustrates me could be for the next one. Cause we'll never <laughs> stop. But <laughs> what my, are your social media? Yeah. Perfect. My Instagram would be at, a G G A F E L L A Agafella and my Facebook's uh, Brian Aguilar. Okay. Cool. And if you want a bomb.com haircut, Colorado Springs or Pueblo. Yep. You can go to our website and book there. Everybody's on there. I'm on there. You'll see pictures with names and it's www.absi cuts c-u-t-s dot com mm -hmm. cool just don't come in hungover i don't want to <laughs> <that>. <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> uh, so funny or angry and if that does happen just know that there's going to be some healing done yes definitely <laughs> for real though i appreciate you coming out here and being so vulnerable and authentic we talked about what does it mean to be a, a spiritual being in today's modern world and i i think you demonstrated it so well being authentic vulnerable emotional like and just honest about your experiences as you are today and in the past and potentially in the future i try to be it's it's a it's a balance you know you don't want to sound crazy or <laughs> yeah it's such <laughs> it's such a fine balance and you're not going to hit everyone. Some people are going to think you're crazy off this after this stuff. You know, like this just, I'm recognizing that's part of the process until they understand. And then they go back and go, oh, it sometimes takes a decade to, to hit the information home. 
Yeah, you just have to put the information in a way that they can relate it to themselves. And then, mm-hmm. then there's no need to judge. And that's it. I think that's so cool. It's uh, really cool to meet someone yourself and just others who are willing to go through this world and say, we're not going to judge. It's open, open communication platform for a dialogue. Yeah, I think if you live from the perspective of we're all the same person, then there is no need. Like you are, you are me, and I am you. Yeah, yep, yeah. And on that note, this is the Actually Connecting podcast, where emotions, consciousness, and connecting come first. Thank you very much, Brian. Thanks. Like what you heard? Give it a share. Want to talk about it? Comment or like below. Have a great rest of your day. This is the Actually Connecting podcast.